This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast. And in the midst of flying trees, stumbling waterfalls, and other rural things in the midst of storms, here's my co-host Dave. Indeed. Uh, I have so far not yet been blown away, but uh, who knows? Because, Anything is possible. Hey, the episode's just starting. We're going to blow away our audience, right? <laughs> oh, so much cheese. But then I like <laughs> cheese, so that's all fine. Uh, but before we get into the episode, I would like to thank Martin uh, for signing up as our latest Patreon. Thank you so much, Martin. Uh, we we produce this content every week, and uh, there are definitely costs behind the scenes to get things uh, working as professionally and as smoothly as they do. Uh, you can hear Jan giggling in the background about professionalism, but... You know, we take a lot of time and effort when it comes to the quality of the video, the quality of the audio, uh, maybe not so much in the quality of the content, but we still have lots of people following us. So maybe that, uh, maybe that uh, is the content that they're looking for. So thank you, Martin. Really appreciate your patronage, I guess. Yep. And uh, with that, let's continue the episode. Yeah, what are we going to talk about this day? We're going to talk open source. No, um, that's that's not the uh, that's not the the bottle of uh, ranch dressing that you left uh, in your kitchen. <laughs> open source. Okay. Cool. Wow. See, that's, yeah. Jokes. See, this is the kind of quality content jokes. we provide here. <laughs> See, this is what Martin wants more of. <laughs> Subscribe to our Patreon. Get more terrible jokes. Anyway, um, so open source is apparently more important than ever. So say the folks at ZNet, ZDNet, whoever, however, whoever you want to pronounce it. Um, but uh, there's an interesting article that uh, they released around what is driving the adoption of open source. And, you know, I love a good infographic. I mean, maybe it's not an infographic, but it is a graphic. And there are several in this article that I think we can... Uh, Share our opinions on, should we say? Yeah, definitely. So the first graph in there, and again, please go ahead, read the article on the ZNet site. Uh, we'll put the links in the show notes, of course. And the first graph is about what type of open source software organizations are using. And apparently it's all based on a survey by Perforce. So we can assume that this is uh, correct and perfect as all statistics are, obviously. <laughs> yeah. And then we see, uh, I would have expected a different result here, to be honest. I would what, would, what would you have expected to be at the top? CICD. Because as really? most CICD, except the stuff that on some cloud providers is now getting more traction, is open source. I mean, all the Jenkins stuff out there, all, all that stuff is open source. That being said, programming languages, um, is a programming language software. <laughs> I, do you know what this is you've hit the exact same thing that i was thinking i was it makes sense that programming languages and frameworks are at the top like they open source programming languages are incredibly prevalent like i i get that but i'm not sure that i i mean programming languages and frameworks create software they are technically software as well, I guess. The frameworks, um, yes. Frameworks are definitely software. If you take React or something like that, that's a piece of software you download and deploy. So yeah, that I can get. But programming language, that's <laughs> that's a description of syntax, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I get it. I mean, you, 
most of them, I mean, if you think about it, you need compilers for them. They're open source. If they're open source. Yeah, the compilers. Like, I agree. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I got you. So, but the, th the thing that kind of surprises me about the ordering here, like, if, if you think about it, yes, I, I, I can get behind programming languages and frameworks being, being the first. But hang and, on, I have a question first. I mean, yeah. the, the, the width of the bar here, is that the number of programming languages that are using that are open source based or the importance of it? I mean, that's not really clear. That's true. And I, I wonder... It's the use of open source. Because basically, there are like 10 programming languages out there that most people use. Mm. <laughs> there are a lot more CICD, CICD tools out there. Yeah. So I think it's more but, of an importance kind of graph. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I would. I think of this as um, like they they must have been asked to only pick one, surely, because like if you're using, I don't know. I I just I find the the I find some of this a little bit weird in that. Um, things like, uh, let's see, pick on, pick on something like I, like middleware is right down nearly at the very bottom. Uh, makes sense. Cause I think middleware is more the commercial things. Really? Yeah. You have some big companies there that do that. No code middleware stuff. I mean, if it's stuff you wrote yourself, then you didn't get the middleware. You got the programming language and the database to make the middleware. Maybe yeah. I suppose I'm thinking more about the like JBoss type stuff that's now no longer called JBoss, or maybe is called JBoss. I don't know. I'm not familiar with. I that. think that we lumped on the frameworks. Maybe. But it's a good so, point. Terminology is very important if you look, look about this yeah. stuff like this. Yeah, networking is another one that I find is kind of interesting because mm -hmm. a lot of I think. A lot of this is is dependent on, you know, how you think about networking. Now, there's a lot of software-defined networking out there. Um, many of, you know, if you're using a virtualization platform, it's probably got uh, most of the networking is probably software-based. Um, I think that's container-based or VM. Yeah. So actually, it should know, be much would, higher. Because all yeah. every switch and stuff out there is built on BusyBox, <laughs> <laughs> which is not open source. <laughs> there you go. And then, which other which other things kind of surprise you in there? Uh, AIML. I'm not sure what DL is supposed to be, to be honest. Deep learning. Oh, deep learning. Yeah, neural networks. Yeah, thank you. I should have. Yeah, sorry. Brain. Uh, gas. Brain freeze on a Friday. Brain freeze on the front. I like that. Uh, that's kind of high, because um, but this is going to be, could be a bit of bias on the kind of companies that they questioned about this. On the other hand, companies that are deep in AI ML will probably be deep in OS OSS because most AI ML stuff is OSS and kind of comes to the territory at that point. But I still think it's kind of high if you just look across the entire world of companies. I don't think that that many companies using AI ML. But for those that are like i mean i i tend to see a lot of the ai and ml and deep learning innovations 
are happening in open source. Yeah, that's what I said. I mean, so so that that's why to me it makes sense that that would be as high. What doesn't make sense to me, and this is maybe this is just echoing uh, your first thought here, is that it would be higher than CI/CD tooling. Yeah, because CI/CD should be way higher up there. I mean, uh, so, uh, CI/CD. I mean. I'll be very interested in seeing a kind of a year-to-year -year comparison on how this thing changes over time. That would be useful, mm. I think, because I would assume that AIML is going to go down because, again, as we talked about earlier, more more people are using, consuming pre-built AIML inside products and building themselves less, I think, while CICD, I would hope, is increasing all the time because people are doing, especially if in an open-source environment, doing CICD stuff. You kind of have to. It's very hard to manage your environment if you're not automating that kind of stuff. But, okay, so you, you, you mentioned that you would expect the AML to go down. Is that true, though? Because surely... If it's built in, it's uh, open source. That's not at all true. That's not how this works <laughs> at all, you lunatic. No, what I'm saying is that it typically gets built into commercial applications. And then, but if 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 an open source like uh, let's think of something, so um, Facebook released uh, an algorithm called uh, Profit Two, which is very useful on time series data. Okay. It's open source, mm -hmm. and you can choose to bundle it with your commercial yeah. offerings, as many organisations do. Now that to me still means that you're consuming open source. Yes. Even if it is bundled within your commercial application, within your but, technology stack. But if you're asking what open source products are you using, and I say I'm using Oracle, and Oracle has a piece of open source algorithm in there, pretty sure it does. Are you still doing open source there? Uh, I would. I mean, it's used in your organization. I would say yes. Yeah, but I bought but it from from Oracle. Lies, damn lies, and statistics. <laughs> yeah, but so yeah, but you can you can buy MySQL. For Oracle. Let's agree that you're wrong. <laughs> and uh... <laughs> okay, well, we we do have we do have two more. Uh, yeah, I just want to mention more one more here today. and uh, two more actually. That's operating mm. systems. That's way too low. I mean, every company is using Linux. There's not a single company out there that's not using Linux. That should be 100. percent yeah. Even if they're just using a switch or build a busy box or whatever, you have a Linux kernel running somewhere, so there's some uh, uh, deviance going on there. And the last thing I want to mention is the Git, Republi re Git public repos. I can't even say it. That's how complicated that stuff is. How Sure, it's open source, but it's a service. It's a SaaS service. You use Git I think or you it means, don't. I think it, no, I think it means using code from Git public repos. Um, I would say Got using... To. Git as, uh, yeah, mm, okay, fair enough, I'll give you that one. Yeah. What do you think about security tools? You being a security pundit. I mean, it, it's not it's not terribly surprising to me. There are a huge number of closed source security mm -hmm. companies out there, and there are a lot of people that use and consume those ahead of, you know, open source alternatives. I would like to think that that's on the on the increase in terms of people using more open source security tooling, but the space is very competitive, and the number of we we've touched on this a number of times through the podcast's history. The number of people that are trained enough to use the tech is always lower than the number of people actually needed. So, 
what a lot of security folks are looking for is something that they can hand to someone that's barely trained yeah. and that level of polish that level of execution often comes with a, a a closed source brand and a fairly hefty price tag because they need to justify the r d that they've put in to make it that super duper easy button and open source is not known for the super duper easy button oh experience. come on we had a whole episode about the easy button about a year ago <laughs> i mean one easy button a year that's most more than most people need I think we decided that uh, the easy button was broken. But can we, was just, can we just no, can we thing, just one more thing? One more thing. I'm sure <laughs> that security is so much higher than observability, because observability doesn't have that big uh, all, of the, all of the things you just mentioned there, and it's still way down there. But I think that's more about people not using full observability suites yet. Yes, I agree with that. And I mean, the, there's also the, even the term observability is still relatively new compared to you know, CI/CD or um, operating systems or even security tooling. Observability is still kind of... Yeah, something. you're right. It says security and not XDR. I mean, Guard calls it XDR now, right? So security oh, is so God. 2000. Can we just very briefly, the last thing we talk about on this oh. one... No, no. Keep, <laughs> sorry, keep, sorry, keep sorry. Like, uh, we are clearly not at the year of the Linux desktop. <laughs> it's all the way, nearly down at the very bottom, only 14.23%. <sighs> Um, you're saying Linux here. It says open source. I mean, the whole Chrome OS stuff. That's Android. That's Linux. And there's more Chromebooks out in the world than ever. True, but not so much in enterprise. Most of them in education. I mean, the managers need something to work on too, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I so much hate the managers. I love moving my on, managers. Moving on, moving on. I love my managers. Moving on, moving on. Come on, let's let's hit the next. Let's hit the next graph, which is somewhat simpler, thankfully. You mean less bars? That makes it simpler? A manager has spoken. Um, <laughs> God damn you. Oh, wait. Family-friendly podcast. And this is an interesting graph, actually, because one of the questions that somebody that's moving towards open source or thinking of moving to open source definitely has to think about is support challenges. Because if you're used to commercial applications, used to the hand-holding that your commercial partners do, uh, go to open source. It does have a different culture and does have a different lifestyle, if I can call it that. Mm -hmm. And this graph kind of, yeah, shows that, I think. It does, but I definitely disagree with it. <laughs> Good. So the elephant in the room for me on this uh, this particular graph is, is the, the roaring elephant, that, of course. But a um, no, the main support challenges on your open source software infrastructure, apparently the least um, voted for uh, element here was lack of documentation. Mm -hmm. And I do not believe that because if you look at any of the others, so apparently the top one, just taking that, Apparently, the number one issue is installation upgrades and configuration issues, which could be solved if there was better documentation. Ah, Personal experience and proficiency. Hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> it says lack of documentation. It doesn't say lack of good documentation. <laughs> I mean, I would equate one with the other, but, you know, you're on the pedant bus, um, so... 
I, I mean, I think documentation is very, it's one of the pluses of open source because basically a lot of closed source stuff, you can't even get a documentation book unless you've paid for a license. And sure. that's annoying. Me, if I want to try something and I try an open source thing, I can go on the GitHub, I can look at the code, I can get the documentation, the forums, the community, all that stuff is available for me. And I have to use my intelligence to do something useful with that. Mm -hmm. Closed source doesn't allow you that. So having access to documentation, especially at the first steps of adopting something from open source, is a big boon. Why I'm saying you're right is that a lot of documentation is documentation about what the thing does and not about how you use that yes. thing. Yes. And that's yes. where yes. the documentation needs. It's getting better. I mean, the more popular the uh, project becomes, I think the more the documentation also starts including guides, bad practices, and things like that, because can the community starts to build that stuff and it gets incorporated. But on a, on a whole, I would agree with you that, yes, how to use the stuff documentation is lacking, but the fact that documentation is available allows yeah. me as a, a techie nerd, if I can call myself still that at my age, um, it allows you to just play around with that stuff, which I would not be able to do at least a lot less if that documentation isn't there. And I see a lot of commercial organizations using access documentation the bit as a vendor lock-in if you yeah if you buy our stuff and you don't get our support license uh you won't get support access anymore so no documentation anymore so something changes uh too bad yeah yeah i mean it just it frustrates me that um the lack of documentation is not represented higher in this because i i i sincerely do believe that if document really good documentation, like use case based documentation, how to based documentation, not just the the trap that a lot of open source projects, even some of the very popular ones, fall into, is in my opinion feature function documentation, <laughs> which is it's not like useful. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I don't spend that much life in that much time in commercial kind of software now these days. Did you buy a, um, a, a TV or a DVD player? I was going to say VCR recorders. Sorry, my age playing up here. Have you buy some consumer electronics lately? It's garbage. Uh, yeah, it's terrible. Um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll talk to you about my experience of trying to hook up uh, in-laws soundbar and TV <laughs> Uh, at some point in the in the future and it's just miserable and anyway getting back to this though <laughs> the the challenge for a lot of open source projects seems to be that i mean you've got you've got two things happening you, one is that documentation for a lot of people is not very exciting to write ah, i'm going to say read so, yeah, right yeah i mean also for a lot of people i mean you can produce the best documentation in the world if people don't read it then i'm the kind of guy i open a box i take the manual i read the manual before i take the rest of the box but you let's how can i put this how can i put this nicely <laughs> you can't <laughs> you are a very unique individual Jan, in so many ways oh, thank you, <laughs> Good, thank you. <laughs> um but so open source projects fall into you know, two traps. One is that documentation for a lot of people is not as fun to write as the code. Mm -hmm. So the documentation often gets done uh, by another company. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that, but often. not as much love, care, and attention goes into the documentation as goes into the code. And I think that's a mistake. I think it's a real shame. I think you should put 
as much effort into the documentation as you put into the code because if you want i mean if it's your own personal project then really who cares but if you're looking at really gaining adoption for something you need to make it usable and that doesn't just mean that the code runs and does what you you designed it to do it means that people can actually go ahead and deploy it and run it and configure it easily without having to go and read the source code. Can I tell you an anecdote there from my personal experience? You can indeed. I work for a company very briefly. It's not on my LinkedIn profile, so it's none of those companies. I was in uh, customer support, tele telephone support basically. And mm -hmm. basically I wrote the manual for the product because it didn't exist. <laughs> That's how much care was taken of this very expensive commercial product. Yeah. Documentation then. Yeah. Now, the the other part of this, and I think the two are somewhat related, is that open source projects change very rapidly. It's one of the like, yeah. especially very successful ones. And keeping documentation up to date is difficult. Like, it is difficult. The more... The more you create, the more use case focused stuff you create, especially, yeah. you're not just de documenting yes, features yes, and yes. functions anymore. You've got a whole, you change one feature in a product, you not just don't have to just update the page that deals with that feature. You've got to update a whole suite of content. What if you've got videos that talk about it? You've got to update those videos. Like it, it is a very challenging yeah. situation to deal with. And that's why a lot of open source documentation is not as good as it should be because it's if you effort. go back to my earlier point well it's it is effort but if you go back to my earlier point around you probably need to put as much effort into the documentation as you put into the code well if you create really good documentation you probably need to put double the amount of effort into the documentation that you put into the code and most most organizations most projects are just not ready for that level of investment and yeah. I see it very, very, I, I see good open source documentation very, very rarely. Yeah, I think we talked about this, not recently anymore, but in the, at the beginning of our podcast careers about if you want to contribute to an open source project, I'm sure you can write mm. a patch or commit some code or stuff like that, but just writing documentation, which requires yeah. a, a lot less technical knowledge and time, because you can spread it out much more over time. If you're developing some piece of software, you kind of want to be in that zone until it's done. Documentation, do little little pieces, little thingies, create a video, stuff like that. Much appreciated by a lot of these projects because not many yeah. people want to do that because yeah, it's not it doesn't have that same allure, that same prestige, I guess, than uh, writing software. But it's hugely important. I also think yeah. that's why a lot of open source projects don't. I mean, not perhaps not why, but you also see that a lot of open source projects don't write this kind of how-to documentation, but they write a bunch of blogs about yeah. uh, experiences, use cases that worked. And that actually makes it worse, in my opinion, because once those yes. blogs exist, well, we don't have to write this documentation because you can go to the blog, but blogs typically don't tell me what I need. Again, it tells me what the thing does and what they've done with it, but not how they did it. And we used and to have the, just going to finish that, we used to have the conferences, yeah. things like Network Summit, which we enjoyed a lot. And we have the open source conferences and all that stuff from our SSF as well. Those don't exist or totally different now because those video uh, broadcasts again talk a lot about what's been done but not how they did it. The in-person conferences I think were kind of a 
solution is a big word, but kind of helped because there was a lot of mm. conferences talking about how they did stuff and that kind of disappeared and got replaced by blogs and stuff like that. Yeah. Not that I don't but like blogs, blogs are good, but they don't solve the problem. They, they also, the problem is that like no one's going to go back and update a blog. Like if that changes, the like that's a lot about that blog is a, out there. yeah, like it's a point in time. That's how it worked or that's how it was done at that point in time. That blog post will probably exist forever, even long after yeah. that version or that Way function or that there. feature has. Yeah, exactly. But even after that has drastically changed, no longer behaves like that, the blog post probably still exists and probably will redirect people to a whole bunch of spurious yeah. and incorrect assumptions. Like it's just, it's not a good way of handling. That's why it's handling. very important that every blog should have a date of publication on there. And mm. personally, when I look at blogs, and for the podcast, we look at a lot of blogs. Uh, if it doesn't have a date on there, I usually disregard them because I can't. I don't know if it's still trustworthy or not. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the shadier sites don't have date stamps on them, so shame on you. Yeah. Um, bring up the graph again briefly. Yes, sir. One of the 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 one slap bang in the middle, pretty much, is forty one percent or forty one point five one percent of people said that their main support challenge was keeping up with updates and patches um you know we we've we've talked a little bit about the the log4j um incident and uh, one of the more public kind of uh, issues that that arose recently people were rapidly kind of patching these things but this has been this has been something um that's been a problem for literally decades at this point. Um, I remember working at a large investment bank um, who, uh, who I will not name, but uh, I spent probably six months embedded in this, uh, in this organization. And they had a very clear understanding of just how bad their situation was in terms of how far out of date certain environments were in terms of patching and updating and it was just it was such a monumental task that they were forever behind on and you know every single risk assessment or you know whatever that needed to be done to appease auditors or whatever like there was always huge caveats placed around uh, this kind of cycle and this was well this was probably well over 10 years ago this is probably closer to 15 16 years ago um and the from everyone that i've talked to over the years this situation hasn't really changed and hasn't really improved for a lot of organizations it's something that i think is is still a challenge it is also something that I think is driving more and more people and more and more organizations to SaaS consumption, even if they love and enjoy the open source technology. Like if they can get someone else to run that open source technology for them, A, their migration is super easy because they already understand how mm -hmm. to use it and everything else like that. And B, they no longer need to manage a lot of it. There's probably some some stuff within their infrastructure they need to manage but most of it is just we just now consume it and that i think is probably one of the things that is driving a lot of 
SaaS consumption of open source technologies? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we talked about the outsourcing of intelligence uh, or knowledge a while back, and this mm -hmm. is part of it. But this is actually very close to what I meant at the start by saying that if you go into open source, it's a different culture. And open source, where commercial software, you get an upgrade of once a year, once half a year, something like that. And open source is like every month is new version coming out, and you have to have ways of working with that. Yeah. And I mean, all the things work together, right? Because the lack of good documentation is making updating harder because you have to read the release notes to figure out what's deprecated, what changed, and you put it out there and mm -hmm. breaks. And if you don't have a good CI/CD pipeline, which we talked about in this, uh, a couple of minutes mm -hmm. ago, then being able to roll out and roll back patched in uh, patched uh, environments becomes a lot harder. So, well, let's wait with this patch until the rest of the world has adopted it and we see if something's wrong with it. Okay, the patch is good. Let's, oh, hang on, there's a new patch out. <laughs> and that's kind of, you get this, uh, it's not technical that a patch depth, I don't know, <laughs> uh, gets built up. And it's definitely something a lot of people that aren't used to open source have to deal with. Now, we also had an episode where we talked about how Google kind of automatically patched everything in. I don't mm. know exactly how that worked, but I think the, one of the things we talked about is the fact that oh, should you do it automatically, just throw, uh, pull down the, the latest GitHub every day and recompile and put it in the open. That's how things can happen. And when we talked about the open source developer, the solo maintainer problem, where one of these maintainers put something in the, in, in the, the library that it, Maybe not broken, but at least made it not work anymore. And you need to know what you're doing. You need to be aware of this stuff. And yeah, I think the, today the world, we make it it's harder today. Mm. Before, earlier, open source wasn't as big a thing. So you could just, well, if it broke, it didn't matter that much. I mean, yeah, that thing yeah, didn't work anymore. But, but now it's everywhere. And if you do it like this, I mean, you kind of have to have a person in an organization that is doing nothing else all day long than reading the change logs and deprecation logs of all the projects you're using to see if you can update them or not. And that's part of the, I guess, hidden cost of open source. It's not a monetary cost, perhaps. We did say cost mm. of attention, cost of yeah. conscious decision-making. And yeah. again, yeah, that's why you say, oh, a SaaS services, you can kind of outsource it there. But the more you outsource that, the more you get not a vendor lock-in perhaps, but a SaaS product lock-in that you can't move away from anymore because you kind of lost the use of that muscle of being critical about updates. Yeah, maybe, maybe. He's not he's not agreeing with me at all with that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think I think you if you do it well, you don't lose that. You 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 will still have a focus on that because you need to, you need still need to understand what's happening in that space, but you need to have a trust with that vendor. Yeah, um, you need it. The question I'm asking is when they do it, do they, one, understand that, and two, actually do it because it's easy, right? No, I just take that thing and they'll take care of it. It's an easy way out. You kind of shirk your responsibilities, which is a bad thing. If you do it right, as you say, mm. then yeah, no problem at all. And also how important is that thing for your business? If it's mission critical, you should kind of know how that thing works because your business depends on it. If it's just doing some auxiliary function in your company, yeah, sure, you don't need to be that deep into it. Kind of, it's also a, yeah, looking at the importance there, I guess. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the other interesting ones here, I think, is um, the third one down, 42.64% of people said their main challenge was integration and interoperability. 
Um, and the, the first thing that flashes back in my mind is um, the uh, the good old days of uh, of Hadoop and Hadoop related technologies, all the animals in the zoo, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So when we're when we're talking about integration and interoperability in the in the big data world in the Hadoop world, there was this idea around distributions, and they were valuable because they did all the heavy lifting around. Um, making sure that all of the versions that were released should work together. Whether it was Cloudera, Portonworks, MapR back in the day, um, you know, that, that was one of the big things that they did. Now, and the if only you look thing at they this, did. That was a main thing I mean, they did. <laughs> yeah, you could certainly argue that. Now, thinking about this as the in the wider field, integration and interoperability, like people are kind of pulling together random projects from all sorts of places on the internet and interoperability of of those projects and the integration between them is most certainly not guaranteed and i i definitely know of uh, you know multiple people and multiple organizations where a fairly significant chunk of time is spent actually um you know keeping these projects continually updated in a lot of cases, applying some of their own patches and some of their own additions to the base code that allows them to use certain versions of things together because they're not always aligned. Some are moving faster, some are moving slower, but they're still key critical parts of their their infrastructure, their services, whatever it is. And that's, a, I mean, it is a support challenge, clearly, but it's also just the way that this stuff works. It's a, it's something that you need to be on board with. You need to understand that the open source is an ecosystem. It's not a set of products that you can just plug together and away you go in a lot of cases. Yeah, for me, it's the main advantage of open source, the ability to be creative with how you use things together and do things mm -hmm. just slightly different than the other guy, which makes you more agile, faster to market, whatever. It is that freedom you get with most open, with non-open source stuff. And you buy the product and you kind of, yeah, the, the product dictates how you have to run your company. It doesn't give you yeah. access to the internals. It doesn't give you a toolbox. Now it's a prescripted uh, experience. It's the team park versus the uh, free, free, freewheeling whatever do whatever you want to do with the thing but with big power comes big responsibility mm -hmm. and that's uh yeah that's a support uh, that's a support issue <laughs> the, the, other, <laughs> the other piece on this that i think is kind of interesting is the second one down 46 percent is personnel experience and proficiency and the one third from the bottom at 26 percent <laughs> is not enough personnel now does that mean that if you added not enough personnel and the personnel experience, then you're looking at uh, like nearly 70%. Um, yeah, I would say one is included in the other, to be honest. Uh, yeah. But I think it's the, the, the top one, the what is it, personnel experience and proficiency should be the top one, basically. It's just being edged out here by the installation of the configuration issues. Well, if you had enough expert personnel with proficiency, mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff would be less an issue because you have the people to do it with. And yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before already, uh, right? I mean, finding good open source knowledge. I mean, I'm very happy. I'm in that niche and I'm able to monetize myself very well that way. 
<laughs> that sounded wrong. Um, but it's definitely a problem at the moment. Is that a support challenge? I guess not, because we still would need support regardless of proficiency, again, due to the speed of innovation in open source. Even if you have proficiency on version 1.1, well, version 1.2 comes out and you'll need documentation, installation guides, patch notes, whatever, to be stay proficient. Mm. And you need to have time to stay proficient, which is, in my opinion, the, the worst thing in uh, open source employment today, which is a bit of a sidestep perhaps. But p uh, companies hire these unicorns, not talking about me now, that know all this stuff and then don't give them time to keep up to speed, to keep up speed, to, to stay, to, to keep their knowledge relevant. And then they're dissatisfied and they fire them and they have to buy the buy, <laughs> so hire, <laughs> better word, another unicorn at, for more money again. Open source in the past was always much more of an in-house, let's grow up this knowledge internally thing. And I feel we kind of lost that. I mean, I'm working for a vendor, so with a vendor, I think it's better. But for a, an organization that consumes uh, open source software, I, when I talk to my customers, I really feel a lack of, can I say respect for that open source knowledge? The, the, the way that needs to be cultivated, needs to be nurtured mm. ongoingly. That's a bit sad. Yeah, I think it's it's one of the things that's probably not well not not, not no, it's not well respected, but it's probably not as well understood, valued. Yeah, mm, maybe maybe. Well, I think we've uh, we've spent quite a lot of time on this, <laughs> and so I think we will save the final graph for another day. So unless you've got anything else on this one. Um, nope, I think we meandered enough that everything has now been flooded. Indeed. Well, in that case, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you again to Martin, our newest Patreon. Uh, you can support this podcast, just like Martin, by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution really does help. We are on YouTube. You can take a look at the pretty graphs and the less pretty faces. <laughs> on YouTube. You can like, you can subscribe, you can comment. And uh, we do read all the comments and we respond as well, if we can. Uh, you can hit the notification bell and you can do all the YouTube things. Please go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page for more information about the podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag. Send your feedback, if you have any, to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is, I still like a good graph, Dave. And my name is, where is that how-to manual for my brain, Jon? <laughs> and we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then.